DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. It's great to be with you, Chris. Thank you for this series and these great conversations. Well, I'm so grateful to be able to break open in a very careful way the incredible work of St. Teresa of Avila, and in particular, Chapter 7 of the Sixth Mansion. Mansion 6 if I'm not mistaken about this, Anthony, probably is one of the richest mansions that she describes. She takes a lot of time with this particular part of the spiritual journey. That's why it's fitting that we're also taking a little bit of time with it. While we're preparing for today's section, you coined a new title. You referred to her as St. Teresa the Great. And I think if there's justification for that, it's because of some of the material we're currently reading. The thing about Teresa of Avila, and I think one of the reasons why she should have that term, the great, attached to her name, is that when you look at her, the fruit that comes from that giant tree, the roots go so deep, the branches are so strong and spread out. She is just this great gift particularly, as you said, when it comes to this exploration of the interior of our hearts. In this particular passage, we begin to see some of the greatness of the insight that speaks into our hearts, her ability to penetrate and help distinguish important experiences in prayer for those who are trying to grow. Today, we live at a time where there's kind of what has been coined by others, and I like this terminology. We live in the midst of a lot of spiritual technology where there's methods and techniques of all different kinds being offered us. And one of the techniques are a whole series of different kinds of apophatic techniques, which means basically the effort to pray without images without employing your imagination, without using your reason. What I mean by apophatic, there's a better use of the term apophatic that's in our tradition. But these ways of prayer that are characterized themselves as the via negativa or apophatic prayer, they provide a technique for lulling your spirit into a kind of uh, what I would call contrived silence. And in that contrived silence, kind of presumptuously believe that somehow the Lord is helping your soul grow. While in reality, maybe the lack of activity, the over-passivity of the soul in prayer can actually be quite dangerous. 
And in saying this, Chris, what I'm not saying is that there isn't a deep silence that the Lord can lead the soul into. Of course, there's a deep silence. And, and I think that deep silence the Lord gives us, he communicates far more into our souls than in all our efforts of prayer. But Teresa of Avila speaking against more in this section is the effort to force yourself to go there with the presumption that simply because I've arrested the activity of my intellect, my imagination, my intuition, by having arrested that activity, stopped that activity, I am therefore in a deeper place of prayer. It's not necessarily the case. And she makes the argument in this chapter 7 of the Sixth Mansion that it can even be dangerous. What she's doing is a kind of a polemic for using your humanity in prayer, and your humanity includes your imagination and your intellect. And she's going to acknowledge that sometimes you're overwhelmed, and we talked about this last time, you're overwhelmed in the midst of prayer by a great movement of the Holy Spirit, and you're not able to use your imagination or your intellect because God has begun a new activity. She's fully aware that this is a possibility. But her message, her teaching, is that we shouldn't presume upon that possibility. We should be ready and resolved to use our humanity to throw our whole selves into our prayer uh, bodily, but also our intellect and our imagination. We should employ all these powers in the service of God. And prayer is the highest service of God we can possibly perform. And so that's going to the text itself. Some souls imagine they cannot dwell upon the passion in which case they will be able still less to meditate upon the most sacred virgin in the lives of the saints, the remembrance of whom brings us such great profit and encouragement. You know, one of the things that I, I think happens for people of prayer, and she's speaking to this at least indirectly, and it happens for me, is sometimes I'm doing the stations of the cross, or I'm looking at a crucifix, and there's something in my spirit that doesn't want to think about Jesus crucified. Something in me is hostile to pondering what Jesus has done to overcome and bear away my sin. There's something in my heart that is sluggish and wants to recoil and run away from the love of God and the call it makes on my existence. And, uh, and that call is what we experience when we start pondering with our imagination, with our understanding, when we call to mind with our memory what Jesus did for us on the cross, when we call to mind that when he rose from the dead, his hands were pierced and he could tell St. Thomas to put his hand in his side, the wounded Jesus, risen from the dead, glorified, calls to us with the love of the Father even now while we're talking. And it's this Jesus that Teresa of Avila wants us to encounter. And sometimes people who promote spiritual technologies believe in a God who's behind the Holy Trinity, the God who is beyond Christ. And so you believe in Jesus to find this kind of impersonal absolute force who is kind of beyond the doctrines of our faith and that that's a more authentic or a more real experience of God. She doesn't believe that. In fact, I can't think of a single saint or doctor of the church in uh, our whole tradition that believes that. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God the Father, and he's that revelation 
for us because he became flesh, which means that because he's become flesh, the powers of our imagination and our understanding can begin to dwell on his humanity and what he bore for us out of love and devotion to the Father and also concern for our salvation, we can begin to ponder that. And as we do, it inclines our spirit to prayer. And the prayer that we have is for the God whom Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, the image of the invisible God, gives us access to. In fact, the kind of access that we have, we find in the letter to Hebrews, it's called bold access. Jesus Christ, through his sacred humanity, gives us bold access so that even our feeble, weak, sometimes very wounded natural powers can be employed in the work of prayer. And that's our dignity. Our dignity is that when we employ the natural powers of our soul, our voices, our intellects, our imagination, our bodies in prayer, Weak and feeble as they are, wounded by sin as they are, God the Father hears us because by faith we're joined to Jesus Christ. And Teresa of Avila firmly believes this. And it's a unique claim in all the world religions. No other world religion claims the access to God that we have. And Teresa stakes her claim right there, and that's why she's arguing about souls that imagine this, basically, the souls that imagine that they can't dwell on the, on the cross or the Blessed Virgin, they deprive themselves of great benefit. I cannot conceive what they are thinking of, for though angelic spirits, freed from everything corporeal, may remain permanently enkindled with love, this is not possible for those of us who live in this mortal body. We need to cultivate and think upon and seek the companionship of those who, living on earth like ourselves, have accomplished such great deeds for God. The last thing we should do is to withdraw of set purpose from our greatest help and blessing, which is the most sacred humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've gone on a little bit of a diatribe there, Chris, but I think this is such an important point. I wanted to return to it. We need to recover in our time a devotion to the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. St. Teresa speaks to us today, saying, Let nothing disturb you. 
Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. O God, who through your Spirit raised up St. Teresa of Jesus to show the Church the way to seek perfection, grant that we may always be nourished by the food of her heavenly teaching and fired with longing for true holiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Teresa, pray for us. That we may become worthy of the promises of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I think that's very important, Anthony, because, you know, even just earlier when I mentioned about Teresa and being this great tree, the metaphor for that, in actuality, it's because Christ died on that tree. All roads lead to that moment. All of salvation history leads us to that encounter to Christ crucified on the cross. And that, you know, for Teresa, and as you said, so many others, especially those who are in a authentic Catholic expression of the spiritual life, it all takes place at that moment, it's like all points come to that action on the cross, doesn't it? Yes. For Teresa of Avila, if you want to attain to the highest levels of prayer, which are the sixth and seventh mansions, the conforming union and transforming union, where there's the bridal mystery of the soul and Christ is actualized and the, and the soul becomes fruitful, it's precisely by clinging to and following the humanity of the Lord not bypassing it or going beyond it to something else and seeing it as a step along the way, but rather the humanity of Christ is this kind of instrument for the divinity, the threshold into the heart of the Trinity. So if we want to go into the deepest depths of God in fruitful communion with him, we can only go through the humanity of Christ. Again, then she points out, he himself said he is the way. And when he says he is the way, he's talking about the way of the cross. He's talking about his sacred humanity. No one can get to the Father except through him. She goes on to say, there are some people, 
and a great many of them have spoken to me about this, on whom the Lord bestows a perfect contemplation and would like to remain in possession of it forever. That is impossible. But they retain something of this divine favor with the result that they can no longer meditate upon the mysteries of the passion and life of Christ as they could before. I do not know the reason for this, but it's quite a common experience in such cases for the understanding to be less apt for meditation. That being said, in talking about the humanity of Jesus, as she just did, she acknowledges that there are experiences that you have in prayer that make it more difficult for you to meditate. She doesn't really know the reason why this is the case, and if you were to want to understand the reason for this, uh, actually her spiritual director, John of the Cross, is the one who begins to uncover the reason for this. She simply accepts it, you know, that, yeah, this happens sometimes. I think the reason, she says, must be that the whole aim of meditation is to seek God, and once he is found and the soul grows accustomed to seeking him, again by means of the will, it has no desire to fatigue itself with intellectual labor, which is almost the same thing that John of the Cross says. It also seems to me that the will is now enkindled. This generous faculty would have no desire to make use of that other faculty, the intellect. Even if it could, there would be nothing wrong in its setting it aside, but it is impossible for it to do so especially before the the soul has reached these last mansions, and it will only lose time by attempting it, for the aid of the understanding is often needed for the enkindling of the will. So what does this mean? This means that in the highest levels of prayer and spiritual maturity, there are these experiences where using your intellect and using your imagination becomes very, very difficult and tiring. And the presence of God is so overwhelming to you that rather than strive to use your intellect might even be a distraction. This is what St. John of the Cross says. So just accept the gift of God's presence. But she says this is for the very spiritually advanced. The rest of us, she goes on to say, we're going to have to use our natural powers and when a grace comes that overwhelms us and we rest in God's love for a little bit, praise him for that, but realize that you'll probably have to return to your formal efforts at meditation and thinking about the faith. So she has a wonderful freedom here. She's not saying that it's wrong to be silent and still before the Lord. She is saying that you don't really force it. You kind of welcome it as a gift when it comes, and you accept that gift uh, by not trying to fight, but to do something with your faculty when when God's presence is so overwhelming and, and close to you. that At the same time, that's a gift. St. Thomas Aquinas will say that it, it's a mystical grace. The soul doesn't do anything to get that and can't do anything to hang on to it. Soul needs simply receive it when it comes. She's aware of this phenomena And in trying to advise people who might end up getting too passive in their spiritual life, if they stop meditating upon the mystery of the Lord's humanity and what he did for us in the flesh, the soul is desirous of employing itself wholly in love, and it would be glad if it could meditate on nothing else. But this it cannot do, even if it so desires, for though the will is not dead, the fire which habitually enkindles it is going out. 
if it is to give up heat of itself, it needs someone to fan it into flame. And what she's talking about here is that when we want the Lord, when we yearn for him, we need to do exercises that increase that desire and increase that yearning. Most of the time, for most of us, this is going to mean using our imagination, using our intellect, investing ourselves, trying to understand our faith. It means reading the scriptures, um, pondering the Psalms, considering the writings of the saints. There will be moments where that fire gets so bright and so hot that we'll step back from the activity of our imagination and the activity of our intellect and just simply let this loving presence of the Lord kind of burn in our souls. But if we want to keep our souls enkindled, we got to use our natural powers and not ignore them and even more, not purposely try to lull them into sleep. God puts them to sleep when he wants to. We can't force them. For her and for her sisters, was there an awareness around them by their spiritual directors? Because they're of this particular state or this particular mansion that she's speaking of so richly. If I'm not mistaken, they had influences from the Jesuits, from the Dominicans, uh, from Franciscans, and then, of course, St. John of the Cross. How does this kind of play out as she's trying to deal with all the different personality types from in all the different locations to help keep them on course? Is that too broad of a question? We think in terms of personality, competing personalities and everything like that. Her genius is she kind of sees people's humanity and is able to address a broader range of personality types with her profound insights that kind of go deeper than our personality differences. And so again, here she is trying to speak to her Carmelite sisters about not being presumptuous in the presence of God and not trying to make a false peace in our soul that is the result of our having the activity by our own efforts of our intellect and our imagination. She's concerned this pastorally. People who try to force themselves to stop using their intellect and their imagination in prayer, or people who don't use it because they're turned off, they have a resistance or a hostility for what God has done for them. They don't want to think about it. They just want to be quiet before the Lord. In both cases, you're dealing with people who and it's not really a personality type as much as a character flaw, people who want to be in control in their life of prayer. They view their prayer time as something that is their own property. You know, when we go into prayer, it's God's time. St. Ignatius knew this full well in the beginning of the Ignatian exercises. In the very first paragraph, he defines that spiritual exercise is any activity that inflames the devotion of the will. And he says, and a wise director knows what the best activity is for the souls that are entrusted to it, because he knows that what's good for one soul may not be good for another soul. Then after laying down those kind of observations, then he says, in this book, we are going to propose certain spiritual exercises that if they are helpful, 
a spiritual director may employ for a soul so that it can be aroused to devotion and service of the Lord. Well, Teresa of Avila, you might say, is kind of doing the same thing. You do not find in her writings a list of meditations that she imposes on the sisters. She allows them a great deal of freedom. She just speaks to them more generally about the need to use our imagination, the need to use our intellect. For her, Jesus, his agony on the garden, Jesus who was scourged for our sins, Jesus who was crucified, you can tell that this is a particular and favored subject matter for our own prayer, and so you will find it recommended in this text. We should employ our intellects and our imaginations in allowing our souls to dwell on this thing, and that as you do, there's fruitfulness in it. But apart from that very broad guideline, she doesn't say, you must go from this point to this point to this point to this point, because she knows there are personalities who going from this point to this point to this point is extremely helpful, and other personalities who need a little bit more freedom when they go into prayer. And so she is very discreet, and she respects that. She affirms the principle, you need to use your intellect, you need to use your imagination. Don't purposely turn these powers off and resist the temptation to be sluggish in the face of what the Lord has revealed in his sacred humanity. So these are the principles that she gives us. She's not overly directive apart from that. She allows a great deal of freedom. We'll continue our conversation on this chapter in our next episode. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.